Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. We all thought that the limits of football hilarity had been reached on Tuesday afternoon when the PGMOL released the Keystone Cops in audio form footage of how Luis Diaz's goal for Liverpool against Spurs last Saturday came to be disallowed. We reckoned, of course, without the never-ending clown show that is modern-day Manchester United, who somehow contrived to lose to Galatasaray 3-2 at home in the Champions League later that day, despite twice taking the lead. There were many, many possible scapegoats, but on Wednesday's show... Ken decided to focus a couple of minutes of his time on Andre Onana, United's under-fire new goalkeeper. And it's, and it's the second time we've seen this with Onana. And he has no idea what to do. He has no idea what to do in a one-on-one situation. It was a, We saw a similar uh, goal uh, by Awanyi, right? the, the Forest yeah. game, the first yeah. Premier League home game, where he was running through from halfway. He, he had even longer to run than Icardi did. But... When he got into the box, you're sort of like waiting. Where what's Onana going to do here? What's the goalkeeper's mm. attempt to resolve this going to be? Nothing. He's bouncing on the spot. He's bouncing on the spot. Um, he, he he doesn't try to move towards uh, Icardi. He doesn't try to really do anything. He doesn't stand up tall. He kind of bounces, and then actually, as as Icardi rushes towards him, it's like he sits down. Mm. It's like. He's like a just stop oil protester. He's like, I'm just going <laughs> to sit down in, in front of you and, and hopefully that will stop. You have stop. to forcibly remove me from my current position. Like, uh, and, and, the, and the chip was, was badly executed. Like, yeah. there's, there's no height on it. Like, it's, you know, it, it looks like it should be an easy save, but he somehow managed to take himself out of the equation. And I, I can't believe how bad that was. Mm. Now, I'm not saying, oh, nah, go rush out and give away a penalty, son. That's not what I'm mm. saying. But, like, you have to try and affect the situation somehow. Like, Alison is really good at this. Like, literally watch some Alison videos. Yeah. Watch some Alison videos. Like, because you need to... Maybe that, that sounds a bit basic for a not, guy who's play, who played... Yeah. He played a Champions League final, like, a few yeah. months ago, right? This guy, is a, he's a high-level uh, professional. But at the same time, like... He doesn't know what to do in these situations, and this is this is a situation that does crop up in football. Mm. So the guy comes, the guy comes. You have to watch carefully to see what's happening, and then you have to move towards him at the point at which he seems to be about to shoot or seems to have taken a heavy touch, and you have to stay on your feet, and then you have to go for the ball with some kind of conviction. You can't just stand there and then like shrivel to the ground. That's just ridiculous, honestly. 
I couldn't believe it. And this, and, and I don't know if you saw the look Ten Hag gave him as he came off, um, I, I, you know, at the end of the field, at the end of the, the game, rather. Just, you know, uh, he th- there was no question of going over to shake his hand or anything. Yeah. Uh, the whole place is full of Turkish supporters. I don't know what, like, I could see a lot of United fans complaining, oh, the whole place is full of Galatasaray fans, our club is a disgrace. You know, because a lot of them had been sold tickets by the club or somehow yeah, had been yeah. touted tickets or the, the whole place had, there was Galatasaray fans all over the ground. United had one chance, I think, in the, like, Galatasaray had more chances after oh, going 3 2 yeah, It should have been 4, it, should, it was much more likely to be 4 2 than it was 3 3 all. Yeah. Uh, watching the last 10 minutes. But it was, I mean, Wow, I think Ten Hag is in is really in a bad situation now. Like it's hard, it's he's at he's reaching a point at which this is going to be difficult for him to turn around because, like, I think one one huge problem that he's got is he's tried to get rid of some guys, and all the guys he's tried to he's tried to get rid of are still there. Apart from David de Gea, who is watching well, these games. Well, he's got games. rid of Ronaldo as well, who is a major problem. Well, Ronaldo, but I mean, that's that's last. That, that was last year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nearly a year since, since Ronaldo played his last game for them. Um, David De Gea, this is now his one joy in life. Mm. You know, he's there. He's like, why does nobody want me? And this is kind of depressing. And I thought I had more respect than this in the game. Oh, United are playing. I'm, you know, well, this this will give me a lift. And then sits down and watches Onana do that. Like, he's, he's replaced. I, I think De Gea needed to be replaced. But he spent, you know, 50-odd million on Onana. And, like, he couldn't have started worse. I mean, he may, he could have started worse. <laughs> it, could, it could have been even worse. But, like, this is as bad. Like, what do you think Ferguson would have done with him at this stage? You know, if Massimo mm. Taibbi didn't need to do this much yeah. to get, no, you, you're not going it to. It turns out you're not going to do it. I was wrong about you. He hadn't spent fifty million on on Massimo Taibbi. That's that's true. But the point is, there's a there's a guy who was replaced, but the guy who's replaced him is playing worse. I mean, that, there's a lot of obviously revisionism going on about De Gea. Oh, De Gea was brilliant. And he had some a lot of brilliant games and some great seasons for Manchester United. Last season was not one of those seasons. Yeah, um, he had started to make mistakes more often. But then he's going to have to go crawling back to Maguire as well. You know, he's he, he's tried to get rid of Maguire. Couldn't get, couldn't actually get him out the door. Yeah. Failed to, failed to do that. So he's moved against him, but he hasn't finished him off. Yeah. And Maguire's sitting there looking at him. And now Martinez is injured. Martinez was one of their best players last season. Um, you know, he, he he's kind of key to their whole like passing the ball out of defense operation. Mm. He's out now for a couple, couple of months. I mean, he's been bad ever since he got his first injury, which he's now re-aggravated. Uh, you know, it's not like he, th- this season he's been terrible. Yeah, you know, I think they've lost four out of six games that he played. So, but I mean, which is amazing. But he he still was one of their best players. You know, if in if in form, you'd think. And now he's gone. Mm. They don't have good options. They're playing Lindelof. Like Maguire is better than Lindelof. Mm. I mean, Lindelof is one of those players who it's just like I don't really get why he he's not good. Like I mean, at least Maguire can head a corner away, you know, or maybe head a corner in at the other end. Like Lindelof. Yeah. What does he even? I don't. I don't see that he gives you much. So he's going to have to go back to him, or you know, maybe he's too proud to. I mean, everyone can see that that's what should happen. There's Johnny Evans. There's Lindelof. There's Varane. Varane's never injured, so that'll work out well. Sancho is laughing at him. Like yeah. imagine Sancho at this point again. Uh, uh, delighted. Like this is incredible. Like at this rate, I'm the one who's going to get the apology. Yeah, yeah. He's going to have to apologize to me. <laughs> the way this is going and. The signings, you know, uh, Martinez obviously has been good now, injured. Onana, phew, 
I mean, I'm just talking about the Ajax signings, the, yeah. the ex Ajax. Uh, and then and Anthony, 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 Anthony who comes, comes on, on. Yeah. you know, obviously he's, you know, hasn't, even if nothing had happened off the field, you'd be looking at his performance and thinking this yeah. is, yeah. And and he was a, another huge signing. So I think on all fronts, we've got a, uh, big problems here, mm. you know, and people are kind of going, well, you, you don't seem to have, you're kind of saying, well, we've made errors and that's unacceptable at this level. We can't have that. But like, what about your errors? There seem to have been quite a few, mm. and there's been a few botched um, hit jobs. You know, <laughs> we've got a lot of people. You know, it's just Banco's ghosts everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in fairness, they did manage to finish Banco. Man United's next move is unclear, but they seem some distance away from even having a shot at qualifying for the knockout stages of the Champions League with two defeats from their first two games. That's not the sort of relentless point accumulating that's going to get the attention of Permutations Man, who's been working overtime this week ahead of Ireland Scotland in the Rugby World Cup. Shane Horgan, however, has no respect for the mathematical endeavours of our man crunching the numbers. Can we stop this, please? Please. It's so irritating. It's so irritating. That uh, this it's is all we've been doing on the show for the last few weeks, so shame. It's a nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. And nothing like that is going to happen. I, you know, this idea that, um, you know, um, Ireland and, and Scotland will contrive together to get mm. South Africa out of this come on would you stop this rugby doesn't exist like that it's impossible Nienaber actually Even- took this question on its merits in his presser this week who did? Nienaber Oh, no he, he, he kind of has to do that anyway but he, he didn't just sort of poo poo it he's like well, well that would it- be match fixing Listen, it should be 100% poo-pooed and I'm, I'm surprised that you guys like leading you know, broadcast journalists are giving this any airtime whatsoever. Of course. Of course, shit. Obviously, obviously. But just one last you know, question. Paul, 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 Paul Kimmich was right. Paul Kimmich was right the other night. It's I'm not serious. Saying, it's not serious journalism. I'm just saying that if, you know, if this, you know, if we were to tolerate even for a second Tom English is probably the man we should talk to you know he's there he's in the Scotland camp uh, you're the man to talk to if we want to you know open low level discussions that's all I'm saying uh, <laughs> I think though that uh, like the permutations do have a part to play in tactics though do they Tom even for Ireland who know you know like being loose and throwing the ball around is the last thing that we want you know you can't just say listen play the game on a smart Scotland know what they have to do and, you know, that includes winning by a, a set number and they can't treat it as any other game. They have to take that into account when they're de- developing a game plan. Yeah, they, they will to an extent, Murph, you know, but you you got to look at it. They've lost eight times in a row against Ireland. The last time they have beaten Ireland in a competitive game by eight points was 22 years ago. You know, so... For Scotland to come out and say, oh, you know, we're targeting an eight-point win, it would just be ridiculous. Like, I mean, they're not going to say it. Finn Russell was up yesterday, and he said, look, we're just going to concentrate on what we're going to concentrate on. We're going to... They have regrets about the South Africa game. They felt that they focused too much on South Africa's defence and not on, on much on, as much on, on their own attack. So they have regrets about that, but a bit of a wasted opportunity. And they did create opportunities. Not many, but they did create them and didn't take them. So I, I, you don't hear too much chat about, oh, we need to chase an eight-point win. Um, you are hearing a lot of chat about um, Ireland are the best team in the world. I'd say if Finn Russell said that once yesterday, he said it six times. And it's and by the sixth time, it sounded like it was a deliberate tactic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, but you know, world, world, world number one, Shane, best team in the world. Yeah. 
I, I think it, 16 wins in a row. It was, it was almost like, hang on a second. What's going on here? Yeah. I always get the feeling, maybe it's just me. I always get the feeling when, when teams say that, it's always a bit tongue in cheek as well. It's not, not even tongue in cheek, but it's kind of a bit of a slight. Do you know? It's like, well, we all know you're not really the number one in the world. So you haven't, you've never got out of the group stages of a World <laughs> Cup. So yeah, you're great, lads. Well done. I always feel it's a little bit of that. I tell you, no, it is, it is, um, I think it was just a ta- maybe it, if it was a tactic, maybe I'm reading too much into it, just to try and, Put a bit of pressure on, you know, reminding Ireland, not that they need yeah. reminding that they're the best team in the world, but that our, that Scotland are going to have a go. They have, and this is the other expression that you hear from three or four players that have been up recently. We've got nothing to lose. Right. And the implication is that Ireland have everything to lose. And, uh, Ian Foster and Rassi Erasmus have been doing that as well this week. Just, God, imagine Ireland didn't even make the quarters. Number one team in the world. Imagine <laughs> that. Just sort of planting that seed in our heads that there's some sort of fear there. And I think teams do still see Ireland's World Cup record as our sort of final flaw. And the world number one thing is absolute nonsense. Who cares? Like, we're, we're at the same level as South Africa, France, New Zealand. There's very little difference between them. It's just something to throw at a press conference. It means absolutely nothing. And it would change in one result in a quarterfinal anyway. But, Tom, I did want to ask you just about this idea that in our heads, wow, a Scotland win by eight points or more. That, that seems farcical. And it is really based on those last eight results, as you say. And I think it would be 13 in a row if it wasn't for the late Joe Schmidt bus. So, like, that's quite a, that's quite a long run of Ireland. Yeah. Um, winning games and often being the better team, but quite often winning it down to Scotland butchering chances rather than Ireland absolutely dominating? Yeah, like, I mean, I'm thinking back to um, 2018, Peter Horn. It was a 28-8 win for Ireland in the in the end. Peter Horn, men outside him, simple pass out the line, Scotland try, gets intercepted by Stockdale, try at the other end. Same game, Hugh Jones absolutely butchers a two-on-one. Um, Ireland, uh, Scotland lost four or five lineouts in that match. 2019, gifted Ireland a try, a big mix-up between Seymour and Maitland. Conor Murray goes in, lost a lot of lineouts that day as well. 2020, Hogg, I don't know if Murph remembers this, but Hogg... Keep talking there, I ball. think I remember, yeah. <laughs> I'll Shocking my ball. memory slightly, yeah. <laughs> CJ Stander, massive amount of turnovers on his own line. 2021, Scotland's line-out absolutely obliterated the last six line-outs. And 20, last, uh, this year, Scotland butchered some chances until Scotland Ireland motored away. So in all of those games, there's nuances. And there's coulda, woulda, shoulda. And in the Scotland heads, there's this kind of... Ah, frustration, and you, people forget about all these chances that they that they blew, but the Scots don't forget about them, you know, and that's almost makes it worse, you know. Yeah. So the idea of them winning by five by by eight, um, Simon, while it would be a massive, massive result, it's not farcical to think that that could happen, and one of the key reasons is. Um, for Scotland to beat Ireland, they need their game plan to work. And if their game plan works, then they'll get scores, they'll get tries, and they'll actually probably get a good number of tries. And Tom has spoken there about it. If you look at that game that during the um, Six Nations last year, there was many opportunities for tries that weren't taken. And I remember at half time thinking, we're in big trouble here. We are in big mm. trouble. But they they came out the second half, yep. but they didn't come out. Yep. You know? And that is their issue more than anything, that 
they haven't played well enough for long enough or they haven't played well enough in the key times where they needed to play to be able to uh, beat Ireland. And and that's their issue. But um, at some point, I, I think right through all those games that Tom mentioned, there's plenty of times where you thought, Scotland could win or should win this game. So that means that this is, you know, this is very, you know, it's a live game. And if Scotland delivered a, and I, you know, it's trite saying an 80-minute performance, but if they delivered a 60-minute performance at the right times and didn't blow up during the rest, then they've got a really good chance of winning this game if Ireland don't deliver in the way they can. As well as the Rugby World Cup and the Champions League, we also found time on the World Service this week for a brilliant chat with the legendary Eamon Carr, drummer with horseships, and latterly a much-respected and beloved sports writer for many years. He's released a new book called Show Business with Blood, A Golden Age of Irish Boxing, and he came into studio to talk to us on Tuesday about his wonderful life, including one or two run-ins with the law, as befits a man of his rock and roll lifestyle. We sort of really, at that point, we looked like identicate pictures of... In fact, the identicate picture thing is quite odd. I mean, we were also busted uh, in London uh, for uh, as suspects for the, uh, the poor people who became the Guildford Four. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And that was the era. It was a, really, a very exciting era. Mm. But as it turns out in Germany, yeah, I think it was late night. And I used to sort of joke that the Germans would actually sort of, yeah, because they got up very early in the morning and went to work. Yeah. And and we went out, uh, we went out gigging late at night. And only in Berlin was there a really... You know, any sort of late mm-hmm. night or indeed in Berlin, twenty-four hour scene, which was wonderful, marvelous at the time, and that was that was West Berlin in yeah. those days. Um, so that was a different thing. But I think we were we were arrested in Nuremberg, um, and uh, it was gas. I mean, like they somebody had somebody had shopped us. That myself and Jim were in some suburban area, um, and uh, a quiet neighborhood. And obviously hairy looking individuals, mm. the sort of things that you would see in identical pictures. Yeah. And uh, and and obviously there was was Bader Meinhof activity. Now mm. I can't be precise yeah, yeah. as to what well, they had exactly just done or were doing or what was going on, but but they swooped and <laughs> and and and, uh, and then there was all this explanation stuff and all. And, and, well, were they, did they? And like, they were cool. We, we thought the Badermannoff guys would be able to speak German. I mean, you know, yeah. how was your, your German? No, no. They just looked. The fact that that it was the cut of us, I think, that, that yeah, alerted yeah, them. Yeah. And then they swooped, and we were surrounded by cars and vans and stuff. Yeah. And then it became like hands up, and it was oops. Um, Oh no, Irish folk musicians, you know, yeah, that yeah. stuff, you know. And the boys are going, oh, and then, you know. And as it turns out, we were playing in the concert hall the following night, concert hall or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and a beautiful venue. And um, and so we had said that they, we had said to the police, you know, look, what comes the gig? Yeah. And and sure enough, the front row the following night were special branch guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then all around them were sort of, you know, the the German countercultural, sort of hippie yeah, type, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, people. Um, yeah, but, but London was a different matter. Um, we, we had rented, we, 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 early up when we started going to London, first it was very difficult to get accommodation. An Irish, bunch yeah. of Irish lads, you see. And the, the normal thing would have been, obviously, for, you know, to gravitate, you know, towards the Kilbourne or whatever, right? Cricklewood or something. Um, but our, our our manager Michael Deeney uh, 
um, had other ideas. And Michael had been, you know, his college was Magdalen College in Oxford, although he's from Lorgan. Mm-hmm. And um, so we 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 got some houses. Um, what you call it, short rent um, houses in Belgravia. And so we would have been technically just around the corner from Marino's gaff and not too far from Lord Lucan. In fact, it was, I, would have been, I would have been there for, for, for the Lord Lucan episode. Yeah. Um, I used to drink in or two. The Land's Arms is gone now and then the Antelope was the other one. But anyway, um, I digress. The, the, but one morning I came down, it was a Sunday morning, and I came down to go out to get the newspapers. Um, I, was, I was an avid reader of newspapers even then. And so I would go around to Sloan Square to the station there and I'd get the papers and I'd come back. But as I was coming out the door, there was a guy on the steps of the door. And it was quite early-ish on a Sunday morning, like half nine or something. I have no reason why I would have been awake at that hour of the morning because everybody else was in bed in the different rooms. And um, the guy was looking at the bells. And he was a young guy. But there was just that furtive thing and there was a guy in a saloon car you know, parked just there and he was parked face on to us and uh, he was an older man and he was basically central casting and uh, there was a a child's kiddie seat in the back and um, I went, oh, special branch. Mm -hmm. I went, oh, could be the drug squad and there would have been a party in the house the night before and Lemmy would have been there and members of Hawkwind and... So who knows? Yeah. Right? <laughs> so anyway, I scooted off down to get the. Um, you couldn't speak for everyone who was at the party. Basically, is what you're saying. Oh no, no, no! But it was just, it was just sort of a, a general sort of, uh, yes. you know, Scoot the leftovers from either uh, what do you call it, the, 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 the speakeasy or something. Yes. So anyway, um, so I went round and got the papers, and I came back gingerly and peeped around the corner. The cow was gone, so I went in and said, "Right, you know." Um, you know, we've had a visit from one of mm. the drug squad. And he was going, ah, Eamon's paranoid, blah, 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 blah. But then the following morning um, was the Monday morning. And the, the door came off the hinges oh, at yeah. um, some ungodly hour. And sure enough, there was a, um, a, a pile of detectives and cops and armed police and all the rest of it. And... Uh, and, and it, it, it was it was basically looking for the, the Guildford the people who set off the Guildford bombs, you know, um, and uh, so we were all herded into the kitchen and the usual stuff and passports and all that sort of stuff, and we were saying, "Look, we're a band, we're touring," and uh, so there was one. I remember there was one sort of bizarre question: "Where were you on August the fourth or something like?" That would have been months earlier. Mm. So, but I'd had a little diary. One of those little diaries used to get kind of petrol stations or whatever. Yeah. I used to sort of write in where, where we were playing, and so I said, "Oh, I have a diary upstairs." So I was accompanied, obviously. Up, yeah. Up so he's not writing it, writing in the. And I came down, and I'm looking at the diary, and I can see that, you know, there's a gag here, right? And uh, there's a joke coming up, and so I went down and I played it for laughs. Um, Maybe not the wisest thing, um, and uh, so there's great, you know, where were mm. you? where were you? And so everyone's in the room, so I have their attention. So I go, oh, the fifth? No, no, the fourth, the fourth. Oh, we were in Port Leash, <laughs> <laughs> and they knew Port Leash. Yeah, from uh, the prison. yeah, they were aware of Port Leash uh, as a a, 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 a prison for yeah. uh, subversives or whatever, right? Yeah. and and. Uh, 
And then, of course, I said, oh, ha, ha. it was uh, St. Mary's Hall. Oh, here. sorry. Poor Lisa was <laughs> yeah. a joke. You weren't... Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Oh, no. no. Sorry, 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 sorry. Oh, God. And uh, it was um, <laughs> 60, 40. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so there, was, there was a bit of grumpiness among the police. And uh, and then there was a sort of a... Sort of a an agreement or an mm. understanding that, but we, but was, we had an Irish Reg Land Rover parked outside, and we had a, an Irish Reg truck, and uh, and the roadies actually looked more like the counterfeit, the, the, the you know the identical pictures than we did, but you know fed with long black hair and droopy moustaches, you know that type of thing. Yeah, and uh, and some of the neighbours had obviously just said, oh, we see these reprobates going in and out and who knows you know but I mean at that time they blew up Green Street it was a bomb let off on Green Street tube station but just down the road I mean I heard it we, 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 we had a night off that night curious time what did you think about that at the time what what, what was your attitude towards it were you like well you know uh, you know this is this this isn't great but it it has to be done or were you thinking no this is this is terrible and just I, stop? you know I, 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 I'm a bit embarrassed in the way to be sort of admitting this but really I didn't have I really didn't have any I mean I was I was living in rock and roll world so I you didn't think literally about it. living in rock I mean you know I didn't have I mean it was we played the north we played horses played the north from the get-go we played the north when we started, we got a gig in Queens and it was wonderful. And we were asked back and we went back and we always went back. We went up a few times a year. Um, um, and then we started playing other venues as well. But but when bands didn't, when other bands didn't and when uh, when English bands didn't come in, obviously. Um, but we did. It was always a good vibe and so on. Now, we had a few hairy moments as well. But, you know, that's sort of, but the weird thing was you always had the thought, don't shoot the piano player, you know. So we, you know, you always sort of felt maybe that there was a sort of a protective cloak around you. That obviously we were disabused of that notion when the Miami were, yeah, of were, course. were blown up. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Thrown out of the game for 
That's just a little indication of what we've been up to this week. So if you liked any or all of what you've just heard, why not give us a try? It's just five euro a month plus fat. There's no contract or commitment. Go to secondcaptains.com forward slash join. We'd love to have you along. And if you're a member, of course, you'll hear all the shows ad free and without interruption. In the meantime, we'll be back on Monday for two more free shows. And don't forget, the Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.